Hello and welcome to the First Issue Club. We are your weekly comic book podcast that discusses almost exclusively first issues, except that it's maybe been a while since we've <laughs> discussed first issues on this. I think you'd be right. But lucky for us, there's a lot of interesting comic book things to fill in with. A lot of um, creators who have some extra time and are willing to speak with us. Oh my God, yes. Capitalize. <laughs> so today, Caitlin and I are going to talk to Kelly Thompson, one of our favorite creators. She's she's golden. She has this unique voice that I just find so endearing, and I I could not be more psyched. I think I first became familiar with her when she started writing on Gem and the Holograms. Just all over the board, like all these crazy cool nostalgia type stories. Power Rangers, Um, she did Star Wars, Captain Phasma. Nancy Drew was also a fun one that she took on. Yes. Um, she's done some Ghostbusters, I think, too. Since she started dipping her toe into Marvel, first co-writing a book with Kelly Sue DeConnick, and from there has really taken off writing some like major titles for Marvel. She's got a lot going on at Marvel as an exclusive writer, with the new Black Widow book coming out soon, helming Deadpool and Captain Marvel, and it was a joy to talk to her so let us tarry no further (laughs) and get to that interview with kelly thompson we're very excited first time having Kelly Thompson on the podcast. She is one of our favorite writers, writes for one of our favorite publishers at Marvel Comics, and has touched so many of our favorite characters. We are so giddy and nervous and excited (laughs) to be chatting with Kelly. So welcome to the podcast, Kelly. It's great to have you here. Hi, thanks for having me on. Uh, Don't believe the hype. There's nothing to be nervous about here. (laughs) One of the first things I wanted to ask you is, is how has COVID-19 been for you? How are you surviving? How are you dealing with it? Well, like a lot of writers, and I think I'm sort of the extreme side of this, I've sort of been training for being housebound for years. So uh, in that respect, I'm pretty good at it. Um, I'm very reclusive as is. So this hasn't been that big a change for me in a weird way. Um, you know, you certainly miss some things, but I think the the toughest thing has been, and I think it's true for a lot of people, the psychological effects are surprisingly pronounced. And that especially gets in the way of like trying to concentrate on your work and like proceed as if, right? As if everything's going to be fine. We just have to sort of keep our heads down and do our work. I've found that to be really challenging. And then for some people, and you know, comics are not alone in this, but you know, there's a lot of stress about what's that industry going to look like when this is over. So that's been, you know, there's been I've been lucky among the few to sort of have continuous work. So I've been trying to grab that up and hold on to it and hope that it's all going to still, you know, be there. You know, it's a unprecedented thing we're living through. I was talking with a friend the other day who was in my yard with his dog and then I was in the house and we were just talking through the <laughs> yeah. through the window through the window and 
you know, I said, it's funny, I, I never could have imagined this. I spend my all my days imagining stories. And I couldn't even imagine this because every time we imagine something like this in media, you know, it doesn't go like this. It's like zombies. And it's then it's a dystopia, you know, or <laughs> it's the apocalypse or whatever. It's never like, oh, hey, just like a slow long breakdown of the economy and everyone trying to stay by themselves for a while. It's a, I mean, I get why we don't tell that story. It's not particularly riveting, but I just never could have imagined it. Like when I think of little kids going through this and it probably in their heads, they're like, Oh yeah, maybe this happens sometimes, but no, nothing like this has ever happened. It's crazy. It is wild. And I think if you would have told me 10 weeks ago, that 10 weeks from now, <laughs> this would be happening and none of us would be leaving our houses, I would have pictured a completely different country and world. Yeah, yeah. I think even like the couple days leading up to it, when we weren't sure what orders were or if were going to happen, and it was like, I still was in that mindset where I don't think I would have pictured this reality. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, honestly, if someone had told me this would have been happening, I would have rolled my eyes and been like, all right, whatever, dude. <laughs> like, that's not a thing. <laughs> And here we are. So I've always wondered as a as a writer, are you reading like a ton of stuff every week, looking forward to the Wednesday to come to pick up those new stories? And and how has this changed, your, you know, your weekly comic book habits? Uh, being a professional writer of comics has dramatically changed my reading habits. And I would say that it's maybe the one thing that's a downside because I do not look forward to Wednesday <laughs> because, you know, instead of being a thing that I love and I, I still love it, I mean, I do it. I feel so lucky to do it for a living. But, you know, when I was just a reader and a fan, I really did look forward to that, especially as a kid. I mean, I lived for it. But even as an adult, I, I've loved it. But now it's become a thing I have to do instead of a thing. I want to do. And the psychological shift there is, is pretty impressive. I mean, I'm always just drowning in reading. I mean, my greatest fear is when people come to me and ask me for like a quote or something on their book, which is an incredibly kind thing that anyone wants my opinion of their work. And I would love to say yes to those things. But I mean, like I look at my reading to do list and I'm like, yeah, I could read it in 2022. Is that, <laughs> that good for you? You know, it's just like, it's just an amazing, I mean, I am, again, this is going to sound like complaining when really I'm sure people at home will be like, oh my God, I wish I could get that. But like I get, because I'm a Marvel exclusive writer, I get a whole bunch of PDFs, you know, every week or whatever, um, which we sort of affectionately refer to as the books dump where you get the stuff and it's because they want you to keep abreast of what's going on. Sometimes you have to be in the know, but you know, Marvel would love it if we could read every one of their books so that we were super engaged. And it's just an overwhelming amount of material, you know? So my list really gets whittled down to what I'm reading for research or rereading for research for pitches I'm working on for books I'm developing for stuff like that, for characters I'm interested in. Um, and then here and there, I carve out little bits of time. I stumble onto something I love, like uh, James Tinian's Something is Killing the Children. Ooh, like I yeah. found that and I like fell in love with that and I was so excited. And it was also, but you know, I will say that I've become very fussy about the work I read. Like being a writer has made me much worse. And it's not because I think I'm so great. It's because I just become hyper attuned to 
everyone's flaws, including my own. And like, for example, a immediate turnoff for me is if there's a ton of words on the first page, like if it's just loaded down with captions, I open it up and then I close it. (laughs) 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 And And it's not like I'm never going to read that, but like, no, I need, I need the art to draw me in. I need a softer entrance. Like I can't, you know, I maybe don't have the mental bandwidth for that because I'm just trying to squeeze this thing in between the next project I'm working on. And like something is killing the children really stood out um, to me as a recent book that hooked me really well and really easily. And, you know, I, I feel like you can get away with a lot more once you've hooked people into your world. And then you're like, hey, here's a whole page of exposition. Take it, you know, but uh, I don't want that initially. And Something is Killing the Children did a really beautiful balance of that, I thought, um, as a book, really drawing you in and, and letting the the pictures sort of do what they're supposed to do, right? And sort of not being overwritten. I really loved it. Totally. I think... Or, or am loving it, I should say. Right, yeah. <laughs> I think Caitlin and I um, would really identify with the fact that, you know, we read so many first issues that yeah. it's it's become a... A critique on the formula. A critique almost. on the formula, <laughs> right, yeah. yeah that, yeah. W- you know, there's plenty of books that we get through and it's like, here's an essay up front about why you care about these people. And yeah. It's it is hard to get people into a story like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely a thing. Um, you know, and we're all susceptible to it as writers and also as readers and probably artists too. But I, I definitely see it as like a thing that happens, especially with writers, a little bit where we get very invested in our own ideas and how cool we think a thing is, and we forget to sort of put the medium first. And be like, well, my prose is absolutely magnificent, but do we really need all of it? Because I have these pictures that are also doing that job. And, you know, I I had a really great sort of come to Jesus moment on that point for this Black Widow book, which we should be reading like issue two or three by now, but it hasn't come out yet. Um, And for issue two, I had this really emotional scene I wrote And when Elena's art, Elena Casagranda is the artist, came in for this page, this one page in particular, I was like, I mean, does it even need words? Like, I don't know. (laughs) It'll probably have a few words just to like a little bit of hand holding for for readers that maybe need that extra help, which everyone sort of wants a different level. Some people want you to be really subtle and, and not hold their hand. And some people want everything spelled out. And, you know, that's a tricky balance to find. But it was just her art was so beautiful and moving. She said so much more with what she drew than any of my words, good or bad, you know. And um, I think it's easy as a as a comic book writer, especially someone who sort of I don't want to say I'm a hack because I don't think I am. But when you're doing the kind of work that a lot of us do, there is an element of sort of hacking it out. You're keeping to an insane schedule you really have to move fast, you know? So I put sort of too much thought possibly sometimes my editors would say into things I'm doing (laughs) and I'm a little too much of a, of a perfectionist with some stuff and it can be annoying, but um, I really try to keep an open mind about my own faults and like when I'm sort of putting myself above the book. Right. And uh, you always want to put the book first, like what's best for the book. I'd agree that I think you have a knack for it. I know that a few years ago, 2017, maybe we were doing kind of a 
listicle sort of thing on the podcast, Year in Review, and you were somebody that we were like, she might be holding the reins of like, you know, huge event story arcs at Marvel um, pretty soon. And over the last few years, there's been tons of books that you've written with mainline characters that we've all really loved. What's that journey been like to um, start with Marvel and now helm so many of these large titles? It's been pretty incredible. Um, Marvel has been really great to me. Um, I think they put a lot of trust in me. I did a lot of good work for them. And so we just kept sort of growing together and it's, it's really been wonderful. Um, you know, Captain Marvel was a particularly, um, relevant one. I think that that's sort of like, it's an easy way to look and at, at sort of your goals along the way. Right. Because I did my first book that I did at, at Marvel was Captain Marvel and the Carol Corps, which was a co-write miniseries in Secret War with Kelly Sue DeConnick. And, um, and so to come back to Carol at this point um, really, really was a way to be like, wow, how far I've sort of come and like piloting this book of hers and it's been doing really well. So it's, it, you know, it's been really, it's been really great. Um, it's funny you say the thing about holding the reins of big event things because there's a lot of me that wants that. I mean, I'm ambitious and I like to challenge myself. So I would have a hard time saying no to doing a big event thing. But I also sometimes wonder if that's what I should be doing. Like it doesn't really play to my strengths to do big stuff that's more event about an event than about like character moments, which is sort of more my more my kind of specialty. It's, it's a place where I excel a little bit more of that sort of like emotional stuff with characters. So, you know, I do step back a little bit and think, I mean, I would still say yes, I'm sure to, to piloting a, to piloting a big event thing, but um, I think it's worth thinking about whether that's what you should be doing or not, you know, and for the answer, the answer for me might be maybe not. I don't know. Is that where I can tell the best story for, for me and the kind of stories I like to tell? I don't know. It's one of those things, too, where we start to picture with like so many of the books that you're piloting, like the worlds coming together and these characters interacting with each other, that maybe in my head, it just seems like it's already halfway there to an event. (laughs) (laughs) No, it does. I mean, I think, um, you know, I did this recent series um, in the in the Captain Marvel book called The Last Avenger. And that was a little bit more like the sort of bigger event sort of stuff you see. And I had a really good time and it made me want to try more stuff like that. So, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but it's like when someone says, you know, here you go, Kelly, have the Avengers. Um, we're going to need a couple big events. You're writing the Avengers book now. And I'm I like, my instinct is, well, can I just go back to Jessica Jones and tell a detective? Like, can we make it smaller? Like, so again, I, I think it's important to challenge yourself. And I am already pretty good at some of that stuff that I'm talking about that I like. So I think it's valuable to try the things that maybe I'm weaker at. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm interested in all of that. It's just an interesting question, I think, about like, where's the line? What's about pushing yourself as a creative and what's about not everyone really has the same strengths or should be doing the same kind of story. And maybe that's just a thing, you know? Yeah. 
Um, can I, I want to ask you a question about um, something you mentioned earlier that you like some of those smaller, more emotional moments in your comics. And one of the things that immediately jumped to my mind was some of the relationship stuff um, you've had in your comic books. Like, I love Carol and Rhodey and thinking about what that might be, exploring that more. Um, I love the stuff with Jem and the relationships going on in that book. It's just like sugar for my brain. Or Mr. <laughs> or Mrs. X. Like yeah, whole, exactly yeah, right. Yeah. What do you, do you have thoughts about um, romance in comics and is it being like underserved in the medium? I think it's totally underserved. The, the funny thing is um, I wouldn't have said that I thought I was really a good person for that. Um, you know, I wrote two novels before I really got started in comics and it, both of them have a lot of action stuff in them. And in both cases, I was way more comfortable with the action than I was for, Oh, here's the romance section. And I hate it. I'm so bad at it. So one of the things that helped was that Rogue and Gambit was, you know, the first really big sort of couple thing I wrote at Marvel and that I know them inside and out. And so, and I was as a teenager obsessed with that fictional relationship and still I'm fairly obsessed with it today. And so it was sort of a good on-ramp to trying to do that. Like if you're gonna, if you're not sure you know how to do romance and relationships, the best thing you could possibly do is, you know, write about, write these two characters that you know so well because you've sort of got a leg up. And I don't know, I guess I, it turned out I was okay at it. <laughs> they, keep, they keep bringing me in to do that kind of thing now. So um, it's good. I mean, I feel very lucky because I do think it's underserved in comics. Um, and, and I think that's weird because, you know, while it makes complete sense that sort of action is in there and violence and superheroes, like all those things play to that world and they all make sense. But like, so relationships and love, like, what's more important to us in our personal lives, right, than who we're dating or not dating and how all that's working. Like, it's a huge part of our lives. So it's funny that it wouldn't be so around in comics, you know? Completely agree. That's something I like. I would love comic books to get more operatic or, like, soaps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the most famous, you know, comics in the world, one of the most successful comics in the world. And what's that about? It's about a family. It's about relationships. Star-crossed lovers, right? I mean, totally. Absolutely. <laughs> so can I ask you a question that maybe contradicts to some of that stuff is that you're writing Deadpool, which in my brain is like the most <laughs> broed out, like, dude, video games, <laughs> like so, sort of comic book there is. And I, a complimental piece, I think you really breathed a breath of fresh air into that character. And Thank at, you. And yeah, and at the same time, it's like, honoring a lot of what Deadpool is, which has got to be like a tough line to toe. Deadpool is very tough. Um, I don't find the voice that tough. My version of the voice comes pretty easily, but um, there's so much history with the character. He's done everything. He's been written by everyone. He's teamed up with everyone. He's regrown from every possible, you know, hair. It's like he's just he's done everything. He's a he's a very bendy character in that way. So trying to find new ground to mine with him can be really tricky. Um, and I 
from, of course, coming off of, I mean, Scotty Young's run came between it, but, you know, Jerry Dugan had just an absolutely mind-blowing run on that character. Uh, So you're really standing in the shadow of gods there. Um, When they asked me to pitch Deadpool, I was very afraid of the history of the character and getting sort of washed away in it. Um, Like, how do you set out and distinguish yourself? How do you tell a story that matters? And that was sort of when I hit on this idea of him being the king of monsters and our ability to use monsters both as literal things that they can punch in comics and also as, you know, metaphor. What makes a monster? Is he a monster? Does it matter if he's a monster? Because who defines what that is? Like, you know, all those sort of layers. Uh, And of course we gave him Jeff, which immediately sort of (laughs) humanized him and, and, and gave people a way to be like, oh, he's taking care of this shark. Like, I like that about him like look at him just sort of care about things even though he's this crazy guy and then I've got Elsa Bloodstone keeps showing up and sort of flirting with him and being weird and that really develops a lot in the next issue which I guess is going to come out in June sometime as Deadpool number five so we we have such grand plans for him uh to develop in this way I'm really excited about it and I hope we'll get to do it all you know it's a things are a little uncertain out there so I've been, I just realized I've been hogging you so much. So I just looked at Caitlin and I was like, do you want to ask Kelly any questions? Yeah. I mean, I think we have, we prepared a ton, but I mean, I think I have a few that we can, we can get into. It's kind of along the same lines of taking something that's already kind of been established, but um, sort of all these different franchises that you have written for uh mike mentioned Jim earlier and sabrina and like power rangers captain phasma ghostbusters all these incredibly rad things does it come to a time where you're just like i can learn about this i can research it and i've got it or do you feel like you have to have some of that working knowledge and fandom yourself yeah it really helps to already have the knowledge um or at least some of the knowledge just from a practicality standpoint to already be a fan of something and be aware of it and like how it fits in the world and what people think about it, all that stuff really helps. Um, you're still going to have to do a bunch of research and boning up, um, in order to be able to, to actually write in that world. But, um, it helps a lot to have a love for it and an awareness of it. Um, I think for me on research, there's this very fine line between not doing not doing enough and doing too much. There's a point where you're doing so much research that you sort of lose yourself in it. And now you're not even sure, like, what are you bringing to the table? What's the new thing you're doing? Are you just echoing all this other stuff? Like there's, there's just a point where you have to sort of cut it off and be like, okay, I know enough. I have enough information. Now I have to like go forth And hopefully my editors also have a lot of information and all of our information isn't exactly the same. And so we can save each other from disaster if we come into some rough waters. Um, But yeah, I mean, you know, part of what you're doing there, I mean, especially with work for higher characters, like, you know, Deadpool is a great example, is that you have to find a way to make that voice authentic so that it's not off-putting to readers who've been reading him for years, decades, whatever it is. Um, And so, and he's been written by a lot of different people and they all have a slightly different take. So you can't really parrot that. You have to do what they've done, which is 
take everything you know and then sort of bring yourself to it and figure out what you can add to the mix that not everyone could do, right? And it's a very it's it's like baking a cake or something. Like it's really you've got to get the mixtures right or you can sort of run into disaster. Like it's like chemistry, you know. Um I feel like when I start losing enthusiasm for the thing I'm researching is when I know I've sort of gone too far. And then I have to like get back into the ideas I'm thinking about doing to like reinvigorate the new thing we're doing, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. Having an idea of where you wanted it to go already leading off what you're starting to research. Um, is there, are there any franchises that you haven't yet gotten to do or haven't gotten to write for yet that you would love to take a crack at? Buffy. That would Buffy be amazing. Would, Buffy would be a big one. Um, <laughs> they're doing very cool stuff over there, so I certainly wouldn't want to get in anyone's way, but that's uh, that would be stuff that's very hard to turn down. Um, I also think like stuff that's like not even – it's not really out there, but like I would write a Willow comic in a second. Like can someone hand me the Willow comic to write? <laughs> like, um, you know, like a lot of weird stuff like that, like Goonies comic, like all that stuff for my – past from my childhood that I have such an affection for that, you know, might, might make for a, a fun continuation, not an adaptation, which I'm not so interested in, but you know, uh, the continuing story of those characters or something. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, Buffy's the big one. I mean, there's obviously a lot of stuff at DC, um, you know, that I haven't been able to touch, um, because I've been exclusive to Marvel. So there's a lot of stuff over there. I mean, you know, Batman, has anyone heard of Batman? <laughs> I'm a bit familiar. <laughs> well, um, so another another question that I had, it's kind of, it's not, doesn't have a good segue. <laughs> Wish I could be smoother <laughs> about that. Um, but you are, you're an obvious fan of X-Men and you've done some great things for that series. There's There's been so many different avenues and approaches towards mutants and especially with this Powers of X and all the stories that are being told there. Do you think that there are any avenues left to be told about mutants that you would want to take on? For sure. For sure. I mean, listen, mutants are a great metaphor for a lot of different things. Um, they have been since inception. They still are today. Um, I, I love the X-Men. I mean, that's where my sort of, that's my sort of sweet spot. That's what I was sort of raised on. So I'm always going to have mutant stories. I want to tell. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever get old, I'll ever get tired of those. I will keep reading any relationship stories that you have about Rogue and Gambit. So I would be Thank fine you. if you just stayed in that arena. <laughs> Thanks. When I was um, when I I was getting prepared for this, I started going back and rereading some stuff. And I I'm so happy that you mentioned the Carol Corps because that's one of the ones I started with, and I just forgot how like interesting the dynamic was of the whole team that you built up and it made me think about some of the I mean a lot of the story arcs that you've written have featured a lot of really strong female leads and team-ups it may be kind of an obvious question but I don't know if that if is that a genuine interest of yours to tell strong female point of view stories like that or was that something that's been kind of handed to you that you were like okay yeah I'm into it I mean, I think it's, I think it's a bit of both. I mean, first let's credit where credit's due. Most of those characters are from Kelly Sudeconic's head. I mean, I wrote them, but, um, I got to give credit there. Um, 
you know, we built a lot of that stuff together, but some of those characters had showed up before or were sort of slightly different takes on characters she'd introduced in Captain Marvel. Um, yeah, no, I'm really interested in female characters. I, I mean, I think, you know, especially being a kid growing up at the time that I did, there was a lot of cool stuff that I loved out there, but there was not a lot of stuff that was female forward or female focused. Like the best you would get is like, you're watching GI Joe and you've got Scarlet, you know, but like Scarlet and Lady J can't be on the screen at the same time. Heaven forbid, like, because there'd be two women. So too know, much I mean, distraction. I, think, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that there's a thing that naturally happens there where a group is underserved. And so then that becomes the thing they're really interested in. And so, you know, it's a, it's a pretty natural reaction. It's the same thing when, you're told by corporations, you know, to, that you can't do more LGBT stuff. You know, there's a reason that when creators go off and do their own stuff, it's very LGBT forward. Like it's because that's the thing you sort of weren't able to do, you know? So, you know, you naturally sort of push on those boundaries. And I think some of those led to me wanting to write a lot of female characters. Um, but there's also just, and then I think as a woman, they do like to have a female voice on those kind of things, um, both from a practical standpoint and just from a PR standpoint. Like you want women sort of piloting that stuff. So, you you know, that can end up pigeonholing you a little bit. Um, you know, I, I'll be honest. I was very excited about Deadpool because it's the first thing anyone's given me that, you know, wasn't a chick book, quote unquote, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't a female lead or that Rogan Gambit was sort of the close I came, the closest I came as far as, you know, a, a male and a female lead. Um, and so I was excited, not because I didn't want to write female focused stuff. I do, but just because I want to be able to do both. Um, but I will say that there's a third factor here, which is that, you know, when you're at Marvel and you're looking around for who to use in a story, a lot of characters are spoken for and there are a lot of really great female characters sitting on the shelf that nobody cares if you want to tell a story about, like, they're like, Oh yeah, sure. Use them. You could do whatever you want. You know? So like, for example, when I was writing a force, I had this she Hulk story I really wanted to tell, but she had her own book and they had her own plans and they had all this stuff, but nobody cared about dazzler. And so that was a character where I was able to do a little bit more of a deep dive with and like really get into it because nobody had sort of called dibs on her for a while. So there is just a cool thing where, you know, you can find a character like Elsa Bloodstone, who's like dramatically underused, who's a great character and you can see if you can plug them into things, you know? Yeah. I love that. You've also created some of your own characters that are now parts of the Marvel Universe, not just Jeff, who we mentioned <laughs> earlier. But Star, I think Star was like a huge splash. And I remember there being a lot of, you know, pricing on it on eBay and people looking for those books. And if you got the right cover when that came out, what was it like creating this character that was part of that phenomenon? And did you have an idea in your head that you wanted to do a solo book with Star when you introduced that character? Definitely not to the latter. Um, I, the, the, the heat on star came out of nowhere to me. I mean, I guess I had an inkling when I saw Carmen's costume design, when we finally landed on what it was, I was like, 
this character looks fucking good. <laughs> I was like, I wonder if people are going to be excited about this. Like, <laughs> this is interesting. So, especially that asymmetrical cape with like the different colored. So, I mean, come on, the yeah. white underside. Oh, I love it. So, you know, she's, um, I think Carmen, you know, it's a really visual medium. And I think people got really excited. And also, you know, part of what we were doing in that book was here's this character that sort of feels like a younger, better, bouncier version of Carol who's having a hard time. And, you know, that was very deliberate for the story elements. But, you know, it so it, it just caused a lot of controversy that we didn't even really expect. Like people who don't like Captain Marvel saying this character is going to replace Captain Marvel because the movie didn't do well, which, by the way, it made over a billion dollars. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what math you use, but nobody's nobody's changing Carol Danvers anytime soon, man. You're crazy. Oh, man. Um, the idea that you think of comics that there's such a small niche market that they are at this point yeah. are going to change the movie that made a billion dollars. What are you talking about? <laughs> like people are so don't understand how it works, and like I get it a little bit because I was a I was a reviewer for a long time, and I wrote essays and stuff. And like you know, once you're behind the curtain and you see how it works, you're like, oh wow, that was a really dumb thing I said that time <laughs> because that is not how it works at all. Um, so yeah, I uh, have forgotten the question now. What was I talking about? <laughs> um, so we were talking about stars. So yes, yeah. I found out at the fall summit, the Marvel summit that they wanted a star miniseries. And my schedule was super overloaded because it was going to hit right at the time that I was doing Deadpool and Black Widow and also double shipping on Captain Marvel. So it was just like really bad. But I knew if I didn't do it, they would get someone else to do it because they're like, listen, this character has heat. There's a story to tell here. So we want to do it. And I was like, crap if I don't say yes they're gonna get someone else to do it and so I said yes even though I knew it was gonna be really tough and I'm so glad I did because the first thing that came out in trying to write that book was that even though I developed Star enough for her role in Captain Marvel I hadn't delved deep enough into her for her to be a real character that could stand on her own and like so, like, Marvel was actually very smart in that way. Like, I don't know if they realized I had not baked her fully, but she will be a much better character that's around for much longer, As not just because, oh, she got a miniseries, but because as a result of that, I really had to put in the work to, like, flesh her fully out and, like, have a better understanding of who she is and where she comes from and sort of what she wants. Um, so I felt really lucky to get that opportunity. You know, Javier Pina and... Um, uh, Philippe Andrade, incredible, incredible artwork. Um, just, I feel so lucky that we did that book. And I feel like it, even though I've liked every one of those issues, I feel like the last two are really the best. And it, when I finished that fifth if, issue, I was like, wow, this really came around. I'm really happy with this. And my editor said the same thing. She's like, yeah, you really nailed that last issue. She's like, I, I feel really good about it. So you never know sometimes what's, you know, you you have no idea what's going to come about uh, when you take these things on. Um, that was a case of being really glad I did. <laughs> yeah, we're really excited to see where that series goes. I think when we read that first issue, we were all super intrigued by the character. She's by no means altruistic. Which makes her, you know, that much more interesting. We don't know if she's going to be a hero, anti-hero, um, something completely off of the scale. 
So we're really intrigued by that character and really love her. Thank you. Thank you. She turned out pretty amazing. Can I ask you another question about Star, which is in my <laughs> in my head at Marvel, there's like a committee that manages where all of the Infinity Stones are at any given time. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was it like getting involving an infinity stone in the story was that something you'd always wanted to play with is that touchy with like another event happened that just dealt with them yeah i didn't want infinity stones at all initially <laughs> um I, I i think we were just all burned out on it i mean they yeah. had this really amazing big infinity wars and infinity warps so they had all this crazy stuff that happened and then that was all happening at the same time that like for like six years we were seeing Infinity Stones play out in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well. So, I mean, I was like, really? Infinity Stones? But what happened was it, it really came up very organically at the summit where they were we a couple years ago where they were talking about, here's where these guys are going to go. Um, here's, here's what's going to happen with these stones. And it's going to sort of change the way they operate in the Marvel Universe. And we all really thought that was pretty incredible. And then they were like, so we're looking for places where they should show up. And Sarah and I just sort of looked at each other. She's my editor. And we were like, star, maybe you think? And there we were like, yeah. And we hadn't even, I mean, it, it was so early in the Ripley Ryan planning because we knew that was coming, but she hadn't been designed yet. So we were like, yeah, if we're like, let's figure out what stone and then we'll color coordinate her costume a little bit to that so that it'll work really well when we get there. And we were also just really excited. I mean, you know, someone being a reality stone is a big deal and that's an immediate huge power upgrade. So we knew that could only do sort of good things for us. And it was also great because that was ended up just being a like final page reveal to set up for future stories, as opposed to being something that our story was about. And I loved that about it because it was like a way to get in a final little twist and, the promise of more to come without sort of overwhelming our actual narrative, the way things like event tie-ins sometimes can feel, you know? Yeah, certainly. Well, I don't want to take all of your evening. I'm, I'm sure we've got lounging at home to get back to (laughs) (laughs) what what with the uh, coronavirus crisis. Um, One of the things that I wanted to ask you though, is that I think with this interview, we might do a deep dive on um, something you've worked on. Do you have an absolute favorite um, either series or single issue of something you've written in comic books? Well, sure. If we're talking, since we're talking first issues, um, I think West Coast Avengers, number one, is probably my best first issue. Um, Hawkeye comes close. Mm Mm-hmm. But there are little things when I look back on it, little things where I feel like I'm overwriting a little bit or where I can see that, like, even though Leo and Jordy did an amazing thing, I know if it was issue seven, they would have done it a little differently or something, you know, like little things like that. But when I look at West Coast Avengers number one, like, I don't even know if I have any changes even now. Like, it just knows exactly what it is. Stefano Caselli and Triona Farrell's art is incredible. It's like the concept is like completely set up the stakes are there you know i just i just think it's really wonderful and effortless it sort of breaks my heart it didn't do better oh, um i was so sad to see it go i think yeah we, we, so 
we when it initially came out we covered it and we'll, yeah we'll go back to it yeah but oh my gosh brodock killed us <laughs> I, I was just what like i knew i liked kelly thompson <laughs> now i'm like i'm like she gets it i'm like so all in on this thank you so much well yeah. i'm glad you guys liked it so yeah that's probably my favorite first issue i've done what about some of the stuff that you, I mean, I don't want to say plug, but you go for plugs if you want. Um, what are some future projects or things that you're just really stoked to be working on coming up? Well, unfortunately, because of everything being sort of in flux, there's not much I can talk about that yeah. sort of isn't, out, is, isn't out yet or isn't known yet. But I would love it if people who maybe missed out on Deadpool earlier in the year, if they checked it out. The first four issues are out there, which is our first arc. And there's some really cool stuff coming. Like I said, issue five is this really emotional, weird Deadpool fights a kaiju uh, issue uh, that sort of stands alone. That's Deadpool five that comes out June. And then I'm not sure when six will be out, but that's another standalone Kevin LeBronda art, which turned out incredible. He draws the cutest Jeff I've ever seen. (laughs) And right up there with very hero. Um, And, um, it's it's Deadpool breaking into Krakoa because he's pissed at the X-Men. And so it's really fun. Uh, it's it's all the sort of stuff I really love. Um, and then, um, yeah, so uh, I've got Black Widow, but I don't know when that's going to be. They're going to reschedule that to fit whatever the movie thing is, obviously. So probably that's not going to happen till the fall. Um, Sabrina is actually sort of coming out in the sense that the first two issues are out and available, but we're on pause on that book. So I'm not sure when three is going to pick up. So it's could be a little while. I think that star they just announced is going to be available digitally. So that's good. I mean, it's not great. I know some people are going to be upset and I don't know what to tell people who are upset. It's like, these are not ideal circumstances. Like everyone, everyone's doing the best we can. Like, Nobody wanted you to buy three issues in print and two issues in digital. Like that's not what anybody wants, obviously, but like, this is the scenario. Like you gotta, you gotta sort of make tough decisions here. So you can't direct you to the manager of coronavirus. I'm sorry. Exactly. Right. Uh, And then Captain Marvel. um, I'm, I'm so proud of the last Avenger that we just finished up. Thank God we got that last issue in before the break. Um, so what's on deck now is there's issue 17 as a standalone game night issue. I'm not sure. I'm not sure when that'll be out. Um, and then, and then we're going into the empire tie in, which has got some really exciting stuff in it. But again, I'm not sure when they're, how they're rescheduling that. Cause you know, with crossover or tie-ins, they have to be even more careful about the schedules so that everything matches up. So I'm not sure what that looks like. I'm very psyched on some of those that you just mentioned so we will Good, definitely be looking out for those thank you so much i hope you like it i'd love to hear what you guys think of black widow when it eventually comes out since you guys are issue one experts we'll be covering it for sure absolutely there's no <laughs> chance that we wouldn't well thanks again we really appreciate your time so so much um look forward to everything you do and when you do it i've got uh, stacks and stacks of comic book boxes on the wall I'm facing right now. And so many of them are books that you've written. So thank you for everything <laughs> you, you do. So and, uh, we really so appreciate nice. your work. 
That's so nice. Thanks for having me on, taking the time. Stay safe out there, all right? Yes, Will do. You do too. the same. Alright, take care. Alright, bye bye. Bye. This has been another episode of First Issue Club. We are a proud member of the Fountain City Frequency family of podcasts. Our music is provided by Primary Color Music. We are recorded in KCUR Studios. You can find us, rate us, friend, and follow us on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, email, and your favorite listening platforms at First Issue Club, F-I-R-S-T.